Cool fact, a crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Also, you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. PlushCare is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Arachibutyrophobia. The fear of having peanut butter stuck to the top of your mouth. The What's Eating You podcast is a series of mental health topics that are designed to make you think, learn, educate, and validate. Enjoy the show. Welcome to another episode of the What is Eating You podcast. Today, we are taking a deep dive into fears and phobias. Have you ever wondered if you had a phobia or whether it was just a fear that was completely natural and normal? Well, today I'm going to debunk phobias, explain them to their depth and take a really deep dive on where this all comes from and what it all means. I'm also recording this live on TikTok. So if you're joining in and if you're watching this live, welcome and hello, and I hope you enjoy the show. So today, this episode comes from a phobia expert position that I've been asked to do on a TV show. So this coming Monday, I will be recording a TV show and I'll be speaking about an expert's opinion on phobias. I can't relay too much about the TV show because I don't know too much about it and I don't know how much I'm allowed to share, but I'm going to be talking about phobias today for people who may want to know more about it. So as you can imagine, when we think about phobias, we think about the word snakes or spiders or arachnophobia or agoraphobia or all those types of phobias, heights, flying on a plane that are really common and aware. But where do you draw the line between what a fear is versus what a phobia is? Now, a fear is completely normal and natural, and it's an expected response to a perceived threat of some sort. And often fear can protect you and it is usually in proportion to the situation presented. For example, you may feel some fear if you see a lion at a zoo, or you may fear some feel some fear if your child has run across the road. And this initial instinct of fear releases a physiological response. So your heart might race, your chest might get tight, and your breathing can often feel shallow. Regardless of this, you're often able to manage it in situations and get through whatever situation it is. With a phobia, on the other hand, this is a type of anxiety disorder. Now, there are six types of anxiety disorders, and anxiety disorders are from the Diagnostic and Statistical Manual of Mental Health 
conditions. Now, specific phobia is an anxiety disorder, meaning it is a pattern of anxiety that you've experienced for at least six months. So in order for it to be considered a real diagnosable phobia, it has to have been occurring for at least six months. Now, a phobia compared to anxiety is an intense and irrational fear to an object or situation that is out of proportion to the threat that is posed. And the fear is so intense that it often results in extreme avoidance or distress. So for example, when we speak about fear, when we speak about say having a fear of snakes, if you're going for a walk and there is a bush next to you and you hear a rustle in the bushes and you think, oh my gosh, I have a fear of snakes. What if there's a snake in there? That is completely different to someone who lies awake at night thinking, oh my gosh, is there going to be a snake outside my window? When I go on that bushwalk tomorrow, what if there's a snake? They think about this phobia even when they're not in situations that may activate that fear. Now let's talk about the statistics because phobias affect more people than you think. Phobias affect about 19 million adults and these phobias occur twice as much in women than in men, which is so interesting. Phobias are more likely to affect women than men. And remember, these are reported statistics and women are often more likely to report mental health conditions. So it's likely that phobias are going to be more diagnosed in women because they are more likely to seek help or to speak out about what's going on. But I found it amazing to know that 75% of people with a specific phobia also have more than one phobia. So if they have one phobia, for example, snakes, 75% of those people are likely to have another one. So whether it's spiders or fear of heights, let's go through the diagnostic criteria of what is a specific phobia. So as mentioned, you've got anxiety disorders, and then one of the anxiety disorders is called specific phobia. This is the diagnostic criteria in the DSM-5. So the person needs to exhibit excessive or unreasonable, persistent and intense fear that is triggered by specific object or situation. So they need to have fear that is unreasonable, that's out of proportion, which brings me to number two. The fear reaction must be out of proportion to the actual danger and appears almost instantly when presented with the object or situation. So the person either needs to be, you know, thinking about spiders or see a spider and that triggers the reaction. And that reaction is often out of context to the real danger that is posed. The third diagnostic criteria for a phobia is the individual goes out of their way to avoid the object or situation or endures it with great distress. So for example, if they have social phobia, they avoid social situations. If they have a germ phobia, they try not to touch things on their sink, for example. Or if they have a snake phobia, they try not to go near any bushes where there may be a a snake, for example. The fourth criteria is that the phobia significantly impacts the person's day-to-day functioning, such as their occupation, school, relationship, or personal life. So in order to have a phobia, it has to impact your day-to-day functioning. So for example, if you have a phobia of buses and then you're not going to work because you're scared of passing a bus, 
that's an example of how it affects your life. Number five is the symptoms need to have occurred for at least six months. So this is for most anxiety disorders across the board. To be diagnosed with an anxiety disorder, you have to have had the symptoms for at least six months. And the final symptom or the final criteria to be diagnosed with specific phobia is that the symptoms are not better explained by another mental health condition such as obsessive compulsive disorder agoraphobia or separation anxiety disorder. Now, agoraphobia, I'll just explain quickly. People think it's the fear of leaving your house, but in actual fact, agoraphobia is the fear that escape might be difficult. So that's the reason people get to the point they don't leave their house in agoraphobia because they worry they're going to get stuck in a situation where fear takes over them and they're not going to be able to escape that environment. And that can sound a lot like other phobias. So we have to rule them out with any diagnosis. We need to rule out other potential diagnoses, which may explain what that diagnosis is. Now, there are specific groups of phobias that occur. So there are five types of phobias that you can have. Natural environment phobias, such as fear of things happening in nature, thunder and lightning, which I think my dog has, a fear of water. It's called aquaphobia. A fear of rain. It can be absolutely anything. There's no limits to what phobias may entail. The second category of phobias is animals. So think of entomophobia, which is insects, spiders, arachnophobia, snakes, which is ophidiophobia. Hopefully I'm saying all these names correct. They all originate from Greek words and I'm Greek. So hopefully I'm I'm doing the words justice. The third type of phobia you can experience is a medical or an injury-based phobia. So thinking of physical harm or injury or medical type of interaction, such as the dentist or a fear of needles or a fear of injections or a fear of hospitals. And these fears can also generalize. Someone in our TikTok comments has just said, I have a fear of everything at the moment. So if you have one fear, it can generalize to other fears. And if you're joining on TikTok, hello, we are recording a podcast on the What Is Eating You podcast, my podcast, and I'm talking about phobias today. Now, The other final type is situational phobias. So these are specific situations such as fear of washing, fear of enclosed spaces where escape might be difficult, agoraphobia. And then the last type is just other types of fears. And it's interesting because on TikTok, I spoke about emetophobia, which is the fear of vomiting. And I can't believe how many likes and shares and comments I got on that video of emetophobia. It seems The fear of vomiting is very big or either everyone who watches my content has a fear of vomiting because it's actually, when I looked into it, it's actually not a very common fear. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. 
LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Getting into the causes of phobias and specific phobias. Now, whilst there is not one cause of a phobia, it is believed that there's several factors that make someone more vulnerable to developing a phobia. So the first thing is temperament. They've actually found that people who are more behaviorally inhibited have a higher risk of anxiety disorders, including specific phobias, which I thought was very interesting. The second thing is genetic. So people with a family member with an anxiety disorder or a phobia are more likely to have it. And this does also come down to the third thing, which is experiences. So if you're witnessing a parent being scared of spiders, it's really likely that you're going to grow up being afraid of spiders as well. And the final one is stressful or traumatic experiences. So if you got bitten by a dog as a child, it's really likely that you're going to have a fear of dogs growing up. Now, I want to go through some of the most common phobias. See if you can guess what they are. If you're listening here on TikTok Live, what do you think are the most common phobias? Put it in the chat box and I'll see what your answers are. Now, one of the most obvious phobias is definitely arachnophobia, which is the fear of spiders. And you know what's funny? I don't have that. I don't have a fear of spiders. I've always said I'm happy to kill the spiders in my relationship as long as you are happy to kill the snakes, right? Which brings me to the second common phobia, and these are not in order, which is ophidiophobia. Ophidiophobia. I'm trying to figure out the Greek word that that comes from. I don't know, but it is a fear of snakes. I have a fear of reptiles. I discovered I hate snakes. I hate lizards. I don't like crocodiles. I don't like anything scaly. Anything scaly really does not vibe with me. Yes, someone in the chat said fear of public speaking. And guess what? Experts assume or believe that up to 77% of people have a phobia of public speaking. This is actually called glossophobia. Glossophobia is the fear of public speaking. Other people have said needles, medical, we are talking phobias. One that really comes up a lot on social media, I don't know if other people have seen this, is trypophobia. This comes from the Greek word dripo, dripa, which means hole. And it's this fear of all these little holes. So it can be circles, it can be clusters of circles, but trypophobia, it kind of looks a little bit like a disease. It looks a bit uncomfortable. Even when I look at trypophobia, I get a bit tripped out. I get a bit weirded out. So if anyone's heard of trypophobia or have that fear, uh, let me know in the comments on TikTok because I think trypophobia really goes around a lot and people experience it. Fear of vomiting, that one came up, but it's not that common. That is emetophobia. Other really common phobias, one I didn't actually know how to name, is the fear of failure. There is a phobia of the fear of failure, and this is called atichiphobia. I hope I said that right. Atichiphobia, which is a phobia of the fear of failure. Then we have another really common phobia, 
is thanatophobia, which is a fear of death, which I think is pretty reasonable. I think many people fear death or worry about death. So that's pretty common. And then we've got nosophobia, which is the fear of developing a disease. We've got vehophobia, which is a fear of driving. We've got claustrophobia, which is the fear of enclosed spaces. We've got acrophobia, which is the fear of heights, and aerophobia, a fear of flying, and cynophobia, which is a fear of dogs. And then, of course, social phobia, also known as social anxiety disorder, which is the fear of being negatively judged in social situations and the fear of being embarrassed or embarrassing yourself in social situations. Most people in the comments guessed all the the phobias right. And yes, medical phobias are really common too. Now, what are the rarest phobias or the weirdest phobias you can think of? I don't know how I'm going to pronounce this, but I'm going to try my best. Geroscophobia. Geroscophobia. Do you know what that is? That is the fear of getting older. That is the fear of getting older. Did you know that it's an actual phobia? So if you have a phobia of the fear of getting older, that's a psychological condition if it impacts your life and you have all those symptoms. Someone in the comments said fear of having a phobia. Yes, I had to put that down. Phobophobia. (laughs) Phobophobia is the fear of phobias. Isn't that super interesting? Another rare phobia is ambulophobia, which is the fear of walking. So these people fear walking and they have a phobia of walking. Arachibutyrophobia, the fear of having peanut butter stuck to the roof of your mouth. Has anyone heard of this before? I'm not even going to try to say that again. Okay, I will. Arachibutyrophobia, the fear of having peanut butter stuck to the top of your mouth. I think I fear not having that. I love having peanut butter in my mouth. Then you've got spectrophobia, which is the fear of mirrors and the fear of looking at yourself in the mirror. That's very different to body dysmorphic disorder. The next one I was laughing at because I think we all have a bit of decidophobia, the fear of making decisions, the fear of making decisions. Someone in the comments, Mrs. No Name, has said, the fear of eating fish and it has bones in it. My partner actually has that fear. And this might not fit into that fear, but I learned today that there is a fear called ostraconophobia. And ostraconophobia is the fear of shellfish. And it's not because people are scared of prawns or they're scared of oysters. It's more they're scared of contamination. They're scared of getting sick They're scared of the texture or, you know, the texture or the taste in their mouth of shellfish, but that is an actual real phobia. And another person in the comments has named the one I didn't want to name. It is the fear, the phobia of long words. I'm going to try and say it. Hippo, potto, monstro, sesquip, idala, leophobia. That is the fear of long words. I actually said that really good. I'm proud of that. So those are all the uncommon fears. So how do we treat phobias? Let's talk about treatment. 
The treatment of phobias is very similar to anxiety because it is an anxiety disorder. So the first thing we want to do is we want to address the psychoeducation around it. So we want to explain to people why their brain and their bodies are acting like this because what happens is people become fearful of the fear response. So when they see a snake and they get these heart palpitations or when they think about a snake, they get a tight chest, they feel really uncomfortable, and then they start catastrophizing in their mind. We want to explain to them, well, yeah, if you're thinking about a snake, that's going to be pretty scary. Or if you're worried that a plane is going to crash, that is going to be pretty scary. So we want to help people how to feel bad well. We want to teach them through cognitive behavioral therapy, through acceptance and commitment therapy, how to feel bad well. So the next time they get those physiological responses, they think, oh, it's normal and okay to feel a bit anxious about getting on this plane. I'm thinking about snakes. It's okay to feel a bit squeamish in the gut or to feel a bit unwell in the stomach, whatever it is. So we want to do a lot of psychoeducation around the nervous system, around the beliefs and the interaction with all of that when you're experiencing a fear phobia response. Now we pair cognitive therapy and relaxation techniques. Cognitive therapy is rewiring the brain and the way you think. So we'd be looking at the statistics around flying. We'd be looking at how to rewire the thoughts. So if you think that you're going to get attacked by a elephant or you're going to get attacked by a snake, we rewire those beliefs and we change them because the beliefs is what perpetuate the anxiety. And once the person is calm enough and they're able to regulate the nervous system, we pair that with exposure therapy. Now, exposure therapy has three ways in which we do it. We do in vivo exposure, which means in real life or in session. So this could be showing someone an image of a spider. And this is called graded exposure, or we use a fear hierarchy. So obviously seeing a real snake in real life or maybe holding a snake would be the the top of the hierarchy, but we can't do that in therapy because that is unethical. So we do in vivo exposure. We might also do imaginal exposure where we get the person to imagine what it would be like to be on the plane. We get them to imagine being in turbulence. We get them to imagine coming off the plane safely. Virtual reality is beginning to get a lot of traction in treating phobias. So virtual reality involves wearing a virtual reality uh, helmet or an oculus and actually sitting in a chair that moves. And these virtual reality helmets actually simulate what it would be like to be on a plane. And the chair actually moves and it simulates turbulence. Now, obviously, there's only specific psychology clinics that would do this type of exposure and they have to have the right equipment, but it's not necessary. You don't need to do virtual reality exposure to get over a fear, but it's actually got a lot of evidence. There's a lot of data around it uh, that suggests that it is really effective. And systematic desensitization just means exposing people over time in a slow, systematic fashion. It's kind of like you step in a pool and it feels really, really cold and you want to take your feet out straight away. We teach people to sit with that discomfort do breathing exercises, and then once they're desensitized to that level of water, we encourage them to go into the next step of the pool and get a bit deeper and get a little bit deeper. And 
When you do that, the person's fear response reduces. And what it does is it also teaches the brain to know that it's safe. It's safe to think about spiders. It's safe to see an image of spiders. My worst fears about being bitten and dying and whatever that is are not confirmed as yet. So it teaches your brain how to be safe. The next thing we do in therapy is we just want to teach the person to sit with discomfort of their nervous system because when you think about the things that you're fearful of, whether it's open waters, whether it's the ocean, which is called thalassophobia, I believe, coming from the Greek word thalassa, which means the ocean, you want to be able to sit with the discomfort and feel bad well. I love that. I met a psychologist today and we went for a walk and he was telling me about this idea of feeling bad well. And I love that. I'm going to steal that from him. I love speaking to other psychologists because we just get such good insight from one another. So in summary, phobias are this intense irrational fear that we can experience. It is an anxiety disorder. It's a mental health condition that we need to manage with therapy It's really normal to have fears and phobias, but if it's taking over your life, it's been occurring for at least six months, if it's out of proportion to the fear that is actually in front of you, then it could be a psychological condition. Now stay tuned because I will be going live on TV and I'll tell you when that is going to air. I don't know many details yet, but if you're hearing this, you're the first person to hear it and I'll be talking about all these weird and strange phobias that you've never heard of. But thank you for tuning in to the What Is Eating You podcast. Please take a screenshot. Let me know if you enjoyed this on social media and I will see you in the next episode. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health Right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.